You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Enos Cantor, what are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern at 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and host of the 312 show at an AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at LockedOnBulls, at Jordan C. Malley and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash LockedOnShyBulls. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. Hit us up with all your text messages, your questions, and your voicemails. We want to hear from you. So if you've never dropped us a voicemail before, feel feel free. 331-979-1369. Or if you're one of our regular callers, drop us a voicemail again. We'd love to hear from you. With that, welcome back, Matt. Thursday means we're one cl- step closer to the weekend. Excited, and that also means we are one step closer to training camp. Just a few weeks away now. It's it's incredible. We've gotten through the dog days of summer with the NBA, and now we're finally getting to the point that I think all Bulls fans are ready for. Um, and to be honest with you, too, I think a little highlight of Bulls action is going to help kind of uh, sour that loss that we saw with the Bears on Sunday. And if that thing crumbles pretty quickly, which I'm crossing my fingers it doesn't, Bulls basketball will be the focus coming up this season. But I'm an exci- I'm excited. But first and foremost, how you doing? What's going on? Doing all right, Jordan. What's up, Bulls Nation? Yeah, we are getting close. Um, media day is like right around the corner, and uh, then they'll start their, their two-a-day practices in the first week of training camp. And yeah, I, we've touched on it in the off season when hey, we're doing five shows a week and we're trying to think about things to talk about. Um, there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines in training camp as far as positional battles and who's who's who. I mean, I think we are all pretty firm on what the starting five is going to be um, with Robin Lopez entrenched at starting center, and we're all talking about Wendell eventually taking the starting role at some point this season, especially if the Bulls find a trade partner for Rolo, but especially when it comes to some of those bench roles, and especially considering it's not really realistic 
to see Hoiberg using a 10-man rotation. Like, obviously, we know Bobby Portis is going to get some minutes, even as stacked as the front court is. And we're probably going to see some minutes from Denzel. But we're wondering about, all right, well, what about Justin Holiday, who's still on his roster for some ungodforsaken reason? What about Chandler Hutchison, the rookie? How many minutes is he going to get in the early going? And I think that obviously we won't have any firm answers as training camp gets rolling, but it'll be interesting to hear what we hear as far as who's maybe winning some of those battles in these scrimmages. Because as we all know, those those training camp scrimmages got a little intense last year, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. The two main important things that I want to come out of training camp is one, everybody stays healthy, and two, nobody nobody gets suspended this year. Um, there's nobody really on this roster either that can kind of help what we were hoping for. Like last year, it was like, okay, Lowry Marketing's going to get the starting job because Nico and Bobby knocked themselves out of contention, at least at the beginning, and then Lowry was able to keep that job the entire season. So I'm crossing my fingers everybody stays healthy, and that starts with the starting five, and it runs all the way to the back end of the bench. You know, it's it's difficult to start a season where you're trying to find player development all of these guys. If guys end up hurt, they're dealing with nagging injuries. So for once, I'd love to see a Bulls team that goes into opening night with a completely healthy roster and guys that are ready to go. Yeah, that's the goal, especially – because we've had, obviously, there was the Bobby and Nico incident last season, but um, not too long ago, remember, the other uh, really unfortunate thing that happened was Taj Gibson accidentally friendly fire breaking Derrick Rose's face in a training camp practice, and that kind of forced Derrick Rose to wear one of those protective face masks for the first part of the season. He was talking about how he didn't have his depth perception, and his shot was off, and it forced him to go glass a lot of the time in the, the first 10 or 15 games of that bowl season. We also had Chris Dunn in a preseason game having a badly dislocated finger. Uh, Denzel Valentine got hurt in the preseason his rookie year so like there have been a lot of those and it's funny just talking about you know other parallel Chicago sports a lot of people were up in arms with the the Bears new head coach Matt Nagy deciding to rest all of his guys in that you know that important dress rehearsal preseason game and hey guess what the Bears came into week one fairly healthy I think that is beyond anything else what you're talking about when you're talking about getting through training camp getting through preseason especially with an injury riddled and an injury plagued roster like the ones that like the one the Bulls have right now so before we get to anything we're going to do on the show today I want to get your thoughts on a couple things just following up from our conversation yesterday because I got interested when we were talking about who might take the last shot in a Bulls uniform this year, if it comes down to crunch time, and I wanted to follow up with our listeners too because I, I got pretty interested in in these clutch time stats and what the Bulls did last year and how it translates to maybe a conversation about what happens in the final five minutes of a game, especially because I feel like the Bulls are going to be in a lot of close games. Would you agree with me there that you feel like the Bulls are going to be in a lot of close games, whether it turns out to be a win or a loss, that this team is going to stack up, especially against the Eastern Conference? I think that for the majority of the part, the, the with uh, with the outside of Boston and maybe a few other teams, I feel like this Bulls team is going to be in almost every game. So the importance of what these guys can do in crunch time and especially in the last five minutes of the fourth, I think that's huge for a young Bulls team and to kind of understand where they've come from and what they can do this year. So I was diving through some of these stats, and I know you had brought a couple up. 
but uh, wanted to mention this too, and I tweeted these out as well, but going through the 521 players in the NBA last season and stacking up uh, every player that provided clutch time points scored, I was actually surprised where some of the Bulls ranked. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this real quick. So out of 521 players, Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen came at number 25 and number 26 on this list. Ahead of guys like Ben Simmons, Andrew Wiggins, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, um, Lou Williams, Stephen Curry, Paul George, Blake Griffin, Devin Booker, the list goes on and on, but... To see Chris Dunn's name, Lowry Markkinen's name, ahead of guys like Donovan Mitchell, who played in a lot of close games, is is kind of cool to see. And now this is just going off of points that they scored in the last five minutes in this quote-unquote clutch time. But I wanted to share this information with you, Matt, because I thought it was it was really interesting. If Before looking at any of these stats, I would say if, if you had to just do a random guess, you would say probably Lowry Markkinen has the highest... Uh, field goal percentage within the last five minutes. The one thing I was really surprised by was that actually Chris Dunn, for all the stuff that he gets about not being able to finish around the rim and not being able to maybe have a jump shot that people are are of liking of, um, his field goal percentage in the last five minutes, so he was 25th and he scored 76 points in clutch time. He shot 48.3% from the field. That's 5% higher than he averaged all season last year. And his three-point percentage was up, too. Now, he only took three, th- nine threes in this time, but it was at 33% as well. I thought I was shocked by his field goal percentage, though, in the clutch time. So that, to me, tells me that, you know, people might be underestimating Chris Dunn's ability to get a bucket late in games. Yeah, I mean, we I, I touched on that in yesterday's episode, which, you know, stemmed from one of our mailbag questions about who's taking that last shot, as you said, and that... Uh, I think most Bulls fans, and there was also, you know, the the Bulls talk Twitter feed did a did a poll earlier this week about who do you want. A lot of people said Markkinen. I think it was somewhere between sixty and seventy percent of of the total vote came in for Markkinen, and um, Levine and Parker were behind that. And Dunn was last of the four options, and Dunn actually had the best clutch numbers from last season. Uh, I think it's like what it and it, you know, again, this is something we touched on a little bit yesterday. It just tells you that this is a team where there isn't one answer. There isn't one guy where everybody's saying, all right, he's the one taking the last shot. The opposing team's coach in a timeout with, you know, side out, eight seconds left is not saying, all right, clearly they're going to try and get there. You know, they're going to try first look to get to this guy. There's really, you know, there's a, a multitude of options at the Bulls disposal here. And yeah, Chris Dunn struggled with his offensive efficiency at times last year. And this upcoming this season, the most important part of Chris Dunn's game is going to be being a pass-first point guard and a facilitator and a guy who sets the tone for Fred Hoiberg's desired pace and feeds all the hungry mouths on this offense with with Levine and Markkinen and also Jabari Parker and basically just being an efficient point guard, limit the turnovers, having a solid assist-to-turnover ratio. But hey, guess what? If Dunn is the one who's open late in a close game, and I agree with you, I think the Bulls are going to be in a lot of close games this season – Dunn has no fear and all the confidence in the world to be the one to take that shot. We saw that at times last season. Just wanted to share the rest of some of the important bulls that I found from last year's stats. So clutch time stats, the parameters for this include the fourth quarter or overtime, less than five minutes to play, and no lead larger than five. So I had mentioned Chris Dunn came in at number 25. 
Uh, Lowry Markkinen, following him up at number 26, Lowry Markkinen scored 72 points in clutch time, shot 37.7% from the field, which was 4.9% lower than his average, and 31.4% from three, which was about 6% lower than what he shot on his average. So Markkinen's clutch time field goal percentage was higher than guys like Kevin Love, Devin Booker, Clay Thompson, and Paul George, just to name a few. So Lowry Markkinen and Chris Dunn being in the top the top 25, top 26 players in clutch time, obviously I feel like guys like Zach Levine, Jabari Parker, those guys might be a more of a factor in the stats that come up in 2018-2019 because of the games played. And Lowry Marketing, Chris Dunn, very surprising that they're in the top 25, top 26 of these players. I wanted to run through the rest of them, though, because I think it's interesting. Zach Levine comes in at number 117. Levine scored 27 points on 27.3% shooting. That's 11% lower than his average. His shot, 28.6% from the three. That's 56 lower than his actual average from three. So stopping at Levine really quick, I think the the number one thing that jumps out to me here is Levine's got to be way better of a shooter when it comes down to crunch time. And I know that's that's outside of the defense as being number one expectation for Levine this season. I think being able to knock down the shot in clutch time and when you need a bucket from a guy that's supposed to be your scorer Eleven percent lower than your than your actual average is not good coming down to the fourth quarter. So to me, I think Levine needs to raise that average and be able to be a guy that can knock down a clutch shot when you do need one. And maybe that comes from the the shots that he was taking. You know, at times we said that Levine was trying to come off the dribble taking shots that were in my opinion, super difficult to make. You know, you would see two or three guys when he would come off the dribble try and block his shot and he was taking shots that weren't we're necessarily very efficient, so I would think he would. I would assume that you're in agreement with me too that that average has got to come up a ton for the Bulls to try and close out games at the end. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who just signed the biggest contract that's on the Bulls' books right now and is expected to be the offensive player he was starting to be in Minnesota before the ACL tear. He was averaging nearly 20 points a game, playing behind. Towns and Wiggins is sort of like that team's third offensive option and really who knows what Levine would have done had he stayed healthy and not torn his ACL for that full Minnesota season before the arrival of Jimmy like Levine could have become the guy for them um, for a full healthy season and he was on his way to doing that and I think now that we have that ugly tanking only 25 games played season coming off the ACL season behind behind us as far as Zach Levine goes and he has had a fully healthy uh, offseason where he's not rehabbing he's just working on his game um, and really you know increasing his getting his jump back getting his athleticism and his speed back and his conditioning and all that stuff you want him to be one of the top options as far as offensively not just throughout the game all four quarters but in clutch time in crunch time and I think you know Whatever happens with Jabari this season happens. And maybe he's a one-year experiment that doesn't go well, or maybe he, he proves himself to be a guy worthy of sticking around for another season. But I think outside of our hopes for Markkinen and his ceiling, Zach Levine becoming a dominant offensive player whose defensive weaknesses are not so much of a problem that they aren't outweighed by his offensive production that's what we need to see from Levine this season, and in close games especially, 
you're right. I mean, those those clutch numbers have got to go up because we saw Levine struggle with his shot selection at times last season. And throughout the pace of the game, you want to see him minimizing those bad shot attempts. But he also, late in games, needs to be the guy who can create his own shot and hit difficult shots. I think beyond that, too, you need him to be able to play off the ball well, too. I think not only just having the ball in his hands, but being able to feed off of Chris Dunn or if Lowry Marketing's not open or if Parker's not even open, finding a way for Zach Levine not only to find a decent shot but get open off the ball, I think that's going to be one of his main, one of the main things to focus on this season when you're watching him. So I went back to 2016-2017. Here's Zach Levine's clutch time stats before he got injured. So he scored 31 points in 47 games in clutch time. His field goal percentage was 32.3%, which was 13.7% lower than his actual average. And he only shot 15 threes in clutch time and was a 33.3% shooter there. That's about 5.4% lower than his actual average in 2016-2017. So what that's telling me in the combined two seasons Zach Levine's clutch time stats aren't that great. And so that's where I would like to see an area of improvement from him. Just looking back at his best season with the Timberwolves, too. Uh, Quickly, I wanted to go through the rest of the ones that I found. Um, So after Zach Levine coming in at 125, and I think this is to my surprise and maybe to your surprise, too, and this is something I think C-Red Fred would love, is Denzel Valentine comes in at 125 Denzel Valentine scored 25 points in clutch time while shooting 37 37 percent from the field which is 4.2 percent lower than his average and he shot 23.1 percent from three which was 14.9 percent lower than his average do those stats include 2016 summer league (laughs) no they don't but they do they don't include that but he will always have that summer league championship for him so Denzel, I think 30, shooting 37% in clutch time, that at least gives you an idea that if, for whatever reason, if somebody's out for a night or if you need to bring somebody in for a substitution or whatever the case may be, Denzel Valentine can still knock you down a shot if, if need be in the last five minutes of a game. So I think I was, I was surprised that he was actually shooting at that high of a clip last year uh, in the last five minutes of games, and he was actually an important, an important piece for the Bulls. Uh, coming in right after him, though, is Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis at number 136. Portis scored 22 points on 42.9% shooting, which was 4% lower than his average. And then he was 2-for-3 three from three-pointers last year in the last five minutes of games which turned out to be 66.7%. Obviously, the difference there is a little bit is way higher just because of the volume of shots he was taking at the three. The one comment that I did make about this, though, is in the last five minutes of a game, say Wendell Carter Jr. is struggling, do you think that a lineup of Parker, Bobby Portis, and Markinen at the end of the games when you need a bucket could be a lineup that Fred Hoiberg goes to, or are you saying, nah, probably not because of the defensive gaps that you're going to have there? I mean, it kind of will depend night to night what they're facing. Um, I think more often than not, you will see Fred have lineups out there in the final moments of close games that are about scoring buckets as opposed to getting stops because scoring buckets will be the strength of this team and getting and getting stops will be the weakness of this team. Um, so of course, you know, that'll shift night to night. And as far as who's on the floor for those final five, it'll depend on what kind of matchups they're looking at with their opponent on a nightly basis and whether or not that dictates the bulls going big or going small. Um, 
you know, and this goes back to our conversation about not only some of the, their key guys this season in Markinen and Levine and Dunn, but also some of the bench players that you were just mentioning, Bobby Portis, Denzel. Those guys are not afraid to shoot big shots late in games. I think it's just going to largely depend on the fact that this Bulls team in a close game, they'll do what they can to get stops. And especially, you know, Rolo is a decent rim protector, you know, in his own right. But especially in latter stages of the season when we're hopefully seeing more minutes from Wendell, you're going to see Wendell on the floor. floor. Because if you have Levine in there and Jabari in there to try to maximize different guys who can get you buckets in a close game, you need the best rim protector you can have you can have on that floor so that if Markinen and or I'm sorry if Levine or Jabari gets blown by defensively you have a guy who at least can be there at the rim to contest a shot block a shot put a hard foul on a guy to send him to the line to make him make his free throws as you know that that's what it's going to come down to a lot this season is can the Bulls get a stop and I don't think that's going to be their main priority their main priority is going to have as many guys on the floor in the final minutes that can get a bucket to try to outscore their opponent in the final you know handful of possessions um on on any given night I'm so glad you said that because I was having an argument it wasn't really an argument it was a discussion about on Twitter about this, and you know, I had mentioned the Parker Bobby Portis marketing lineup that they may go to in the last five minutes of the game, especially to like we've got to remember that Wendell Carter Jr., while he does have a ton of skill and a ton of hope in the next few years to develop, he's still a rookie though. And you've got to you've got to understand that there are going to be rookie walls that he hits, and there's going to be learning curves that he's going to have to make. And you know, at times Fred might sub Wendell Carter Jr. out to put Bobby Portis in a lineup where you're moving Markin into the five and keeping Parker at the four. Um, and I think it's also largely going to come down to who plays the wing position the best, too. If there's guys, Chandler Hutchison decides that he's going to come out and have a great rookie year, too, or Denzel Valentine proves that he can be a guy that can get you a bucket late in the games. I think that was my biggest focus, though, was the fact that the Bulls aren't going to sub guys in and out to look to get a stop. They're going to bring in the guys that they feel confident can score them a bucket and score them a bucket quick. I think that's the that's the route for the Bulls to go this season, is to try to knock down as many shots as quickly as you can in the last five minutes. Try to just basically outscore the other team, because like you were saying, like outside of Dunn and, and Carter, like the the defense is, is, is thin to be nice about it. It's like very, very thin. Oh. Yeah, no, that's being complimentary, <laughs> just calling it thin. It will be a disaster. I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'd be surprised if the Bulls don't finish in the, with one of the top five worst defenses in the league this season. Like, I think that's pretty much a lock. Um, and, and one more element to what we're talking about as far as who's on the floor for those final minutes and whether it's the, the emphasis is getting stops or getting buckets. Going back to the center spot and, you know, what kind of combination of Wendell or Rolo or Bobby or Markinen we're going to see there um, and maybe, you know, having nights where Jabari finishes the game playing at the four. The other aspect, and I hope we see at least some of this from Wendell early in the season, even when he's coming off the bench, is Wendell proving that his 41% from deep at his one year at Duke wasn't a fluke and that he's been continuously working on his three-point game in the offseason, and he comes in early and proves himself to be a guy who you at least have to put a body on when he goes outside along the perimeter, because in that sense, he gives you a guy who's going to be aggressive defensively and make make up for some of the weaknesses defensively of Levine and Parker, 
But at the offensive end, when you put the ball in the hands of those two guys, Levine and Parker, you can open up the floor for them and give them room to operate and create an open lane by having Wendell step outside and be a threat behind the three-point line that the defense has to respect in ways that, you know, don't no disrespect to Rolo, but he's clogging up the lane. And he cannot step out and space the floor in the way that Wendell Carter Jr. can. So I think that that is one other thing that I'll be looking for this season is, you know, is Wendell on the floor for, to finish games and in some of those moments, if there are drive and kick situations from Levine or from Jabari or from Dunn or whoever's the, the ball handler, can Wendell prove that he is a guy who can step back and hit a big shot from behind the arc? Yeah, and I think that's that's a good call too because you know for the people that are going to say, well, Robin's got to be on the floor for defensive reasons. Like Robin's Robin Lopez's defensive rating last year was terrible; it was the worst of his career at a one fourteen. Like we're talking about as bad as Zach Levine's off defensive rating was last year. You know, as as much as we make fun of Zach Levine for his defense, like Robin Lopez wasn't very good last year either. So I can't imagine that he's going to be on the floor in the last five minutes. Either. Well, and I mean, just you know, play devil's advocate. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Robin was until they got to the part of the season where they benched him and started tanking was the starting center for a bunch of games when the Bulls starting five was getting woefully outworked by their opponent pretty much every night. That's true. That's true. That's uh, it's, it's a good compromise there. All right, the last two players that I wanted to mention to outside of BP and Denzel. Uh, so I went back to look at what Jabari Parker did in 2016-2017 in the games that he did play. So back with the Bucks, he scored 42 points on 42.1% shooting, which was 6.9% lower than his average. And he shot 11.1% from three, which was 25.4% lower than his average. And he came in at number 82. So the one thing I take from that is I'm hoping Jabari Parker's a way better three-point shooter than what this characterizes him as. And I think he will. I think that's going to be part of his game that not only was he working on this year, but he, he has to understand that like if you want to play the wing position this year for the Bulls and be effective, you've got to be a guy that can knock down a three at a higher clip in the last five minutes than 11%. I think that goes for anybody that's going to be on the floor in the last five minutes of a game. Uh, one other person, too, that I wanted to make mention of is Justin Holiday because I was actually very surprised at where he landed on this list. Justin Holiday scored 40 points, which was good enough to land him at number 76 on this list. He shot 44% in clutch time, which was 6.1% higher than his average. And he shot 26.7% from three, which was about 10.9% lower than his actual average. So a guy that can come off the bench in clutch time, at least what he showed last year, can get you a bucket too. So I wouldn't imagine Justin Holiday is going to be in any sort of lineup in the last five minutes, especially if you're in a close game. But if uh, Fred needs to go to a lineup, especially maybe six, seven, eight minutes in the fourth quarter, you might see Justin Holiday play some minutes there. You might see Denzel Valentine in a lineup with him as well. And those two played a lot last year together, Justin Holiday and Denzel Valentine. I'm pretty sure as far as two-man lineups go, they were second or third most in minutes played together. So seeing those two guys come off the bench together might not be a bad decision either. Their ratings were pretty high together, so... Justin Holiday can be that guy again. I don't have high hopes for him, and I know Bulls fans don't either. 
but uh, his his shooting percentage was up nearly six percent in clutch time. I mean, I can remember multiple games when Holiday out of nowhere would just be like hitting hitting a couple of threes, you know, in in short sequence late in and the game. And we're sitting there the screaming at were, the TV like, "Don't!" We're failing to tank, being like, "Are you kidding me, Justin <laughs> Holiday? Like, you, there's no reason for you to be here on this roster right now, and all you're doing is giving us a meaningless win in February or March." And it was honestly next to Sean Kilpatrick, aka Sean Kill draft pick who had a couple of monster games at the back end of March and into April uh, and, and like you know robbed us of a few spots in the draft lottery next to him it was Justin Holiday a few times just being like Justin Holiday, why why now why now are you just all of a sudden coming into the fourth quarter and knocking down a few threes <laughs> for a meaningless win drove me crazy seriously so Maybe this enlightens Bulls fans a little bit as far as what happened last year in the last five minutes of games when quote-unquote clutch time happens. It's kind of a good insight, and I was surprised at where, honestly, I was very surprised at where Chris Dunn landed, where Lowry Markkinen landed, and I was surprised that Denzel Valentine was higher than he actually, you know, that that I thought he was going to be coming in through this list. And so that'll be something to monitor next year, but it's kind of interesting to see where guys land, what the lineups might look like in five-man rotations when you're in the last five minutes of games, whether it's in the fourth quarter or overtime. So those are things to monitor, but I think the one surprising fact here is, like you had said yesterday's episode, you know, the least amount of votes came for Chris Dunn taking the last shot in the game, and he was actually the best player last year as far as clutch time buckets go. So, um, yeah, maybe people are sleeping on Chris Dunn a little bit. Definitely think people are sleeping on Chris Dunn. I got high hopes for him this year. Before we get into our last topic today, got to remind you guys, Dean's Dugout in Naperville, Illinois, is holding an autograph signing and meet and greet with White Sox outfielder Daniel Polka. That's Monday, October 1st, 2018, 6.30 to 8 p.m. at their location in Naperville, 2035 South Washington Street, Naperville, Illinois. Tickets are only $25, so you should get them, including a picture and an autograph and a meet and greet with Daniel Polka. That's 2035 South Washington Street, Naperville, Illinois. Uh, Their phone number is 630-527-8888. You can get tickets by calling them or appearing at their store. So hit them up. Daniel Polka, White Sox outfielder, Monday, October 1st. You can hit us up, 331-979-1369. You want to be a part of the conversation. You have any thoughts on any of those clutch time stats that we were talking about or anything that we've talked about this past week, we want to hear from you. 331-979-1369. You can text or call us, drop us a voicemail, drop us a text message. Whatever it may be, we want to hear from you. So we decided, okay, we're going to push back our Chris Dunn conversation. We were going to start with Chris Dunn as far as our player evaluations go. We're going to push that back to tomorrow's episode. We're going to finish the episode today off with a bracket that Matt and I decided to do leading us up to opening night of the tip-off. And it's 32 of the most important moments in Bulls history. So this can be a collection of anything. It can be a collection of plays in the courts. It can be storylines that happen throughout the Bulls history. It can be moments from players off the court, on the court. Realistically, it's just a culmination of what ended up pushing this franchise and what's kind of been the storyline around what's made the biggest storylines around this Chicago Bulls team. So obviously there's more than 32 32 different events that happened in Bulls history that could be put on this list, and we could go on and on forever. But we tried to pick the 32 and most important and the 32 uh, biggest headlines that came out from this season. So with that, Matt and I are going to start with 
two, uh, with two different sides of the bracket. And we're going to tweet these out, too. We want the fans to vote on which one they feel like is a more important moment as we put these up head-to-head against each other. So we'll tweet those out. We'll have the poll run for 24 hours, and then whichever one wins, we'll move on in our bracket. So just a little fun bracket to do before we get up to training camp here in the next few weeks. So with that, Matt, let's start with the bottom of the bracket here. First up is the I am, I'm back facts from Michael Jordan. Hey, Mikey, we like it. Not a huge surprise, but clearly one of the great comebacks since Burt Reynolds' hairline. It came in a two-word statement, which is now just begging to have a Nike campaign built around it. Quote, unquote, I'm back. That's all Jordan said on Saturday. That was really all Jordan needed to say as his 17-month retirement came to an end. He will be back on Sunday when the Bulls play the Pacers and probably not so coincidentally, the game is on national TV. The Bulls arrived in Indianapolis on Saturday night, and while Michael Jordan was not on the team charter, he will be there by game time, and that makes Phil Jackson happy. We're all very happy about this. Uh, we think it's going to be great for our basketball club. We hope expectations, which are going to be high, aren't overreaching for what we have as a basketball club. We're just glad he's getting back on the court. I'm happy that he's back. I think he's going to add a lot to uh the NBA, especially in the playoffs. I think he's back because he was missing competition and he's ready to go again. But I don't, I don't think, in my mind, I don't favor them to win it. We, we feel we have the best record in the world and we're going to try to keep going and get to the finals. You know, however they handle that team, that's their own business. Welcome him back, but we don't care concern ourselves with them. It's going up against why can't I be MVP of the league from Derrick Rose. Hey, Derrick, in the back, uh, you won the Rookie of the Year award. You made your first All-Star team a year ago. Now people around the league are talking about you taking the next jump to becoming a top 10 player in the league. I know you've never been one to back away from a challenge. What kind of expectations do you set for yourself individually going into year three? It's high. The way I look at it within myself, why not? Why can't I be the MVP of the league? Why can't I be the best player in the league? I don't see why. Why? Why can't I do that? Um, I think I work hard. Um, I think I dedicate myself to the game and sacrifice a lot of things at a young age. And I know that if I continue to like do good, like what I can get out of it. And if that's me going now, doing whatever, I'm willing to do it because I know that in the long run, it's going to help me. So I'm going to let you start with these. Give us a little background on both of them and which one ultimately you feel like is a better choice for more memorable as far as a Bulls fan goes. Yeah, so, and for some of the younger Bulls fans who may not remember the Jordan years, uh, going back to his short stint in baseball and then coming back to play three more seasons, well, three seasons in change with the Chicago Bulls. I know everybody remembers the 72-10, and 10, 96 team that started the second three-peat, but Jordan came back late in the 94-95 season um, because he got fed up with the baseball strike that was going on and he, as he was you know, trying to get his baseball career going. So there were a lot of rumors going around, you know, is he coming back, you know, Scotty pointing to the MJ logo on the bottom of his sneaker during a timeout of a Bulls game, all of these things, all sorts of whispers. And then like the reason that I love this moment of Bulls history so much is that it dates itself so beautifully that like the the way that MJ announced that he was making his comeback was by using a fax machine. Like a fax. 
people don't even people still have those listed on oh here's the different ways you can get in touch with me here's my cell here's my office number here's my fax no who like who uses faxes anymore so i love it for that because it's just so symbolic of the times and it was just so beautifully succinct um this is for immediate release contact david b falk Coming from Washington, D.C. on March 18th, 1995. The following statement was released today by Michael Jordan through his personal attorney and business manager, David B. Falk, chairman of Falk Associates Management Enterprises, Incorporated, located in Washington, D.C., in response to questions about his future career plans. Semicolon. I'm back. That's all it was. That's crazy. two-word facts that announced that MJ was making his comeback. Um to me, this 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 beats out Derrick Rose saying, "Why can't I be MVP?" It's close, and I know that a lot of our our younger Bulls fan listeners will probably say, "Like, what's you know, what's so good about a, a fax? What this is dumb." Derrick Rose said, "Why can't I be MVP?" And then went out and proved it. I feel like a lot of the Rose stands from Bulls Nation would would pick that. I'm going with the facts though because it's just it's you know it's this, it's a symbol of a simpler time. And it was the start of something incredible. I think what came after the I'm back facts, you know, if this was paired up against anything else, I think Derrick Rose's why can't I be MVP? But I put these two together because they were similar. Like when Jordan came back, they won three championships. Like did anybody foresee the Bulls winning three championships back to back to back again after he decided to take a year off? Like I would feel like in today's modern NBA, say LeBron took a day, look, took a year off. If he were to come back and join a team again, would people have doubts that he could win championships again? I think people would have a ton of doubts, and I can't speak for what the media was like back in the mid-90s, but I'm sure that this was plastered not only over every Chicago newspaper and every TV station here and every radio station here in Chicago, but nationally too. And the storyline that goes with Derrick Rose leading up to the the press conference where he said, you know, why can't I be MVP? I went back and read all the articles that came out back in 2010 when he did say this. And the one that caught my eye the most was a quote from Joe Kim Noah, uh, one of his teammates. And it said, you know, this summer Rose played a major role in helping Team USA win the world championship in Turkey. But still, MVP, a lot of people questioning why... Why he would say this and why he has all the confidence in the world at just, what, 21 year, turning 21 years old this time? Joe Kim Noah says, Derrick Rose is an unbelievable talent and things have really changed around here since he's come to Chicago. The goal is definitely to be the best team that we can be. If Derrick feels that way, then that's good for us. I think turning that around and being so confident to say that you can be the MVP of the league and then turning around and winning it in the same year, that's incredible. But I think I'm going to lean with you too is the I'm back facts is probably as far as Bulls moments go is probably more important more historic than Derrick Rose's why can't I be MVP and then turning it into an MVP if if Michael Jordan hadn't won three championships after saying I'm back then I probably would have picked Derrick Rose's MVP but I think as far as more important moments go in Bulls history it's got to be the I'm back facts yeah yeah I uh I think you're right. Like both of these, um, as far as relating to importance, are so much. They carry so much more weight because of what followed them, with MJ and the facts, the the second three peak that followed, and with Derrick Rose saying, "Why can't I be MVP?" and then going out and doing it. 
they're both so awesome. And that, you know, it's one of these examples of, man, oh man, why do these two teams have to play each other so early in in the, in the bracket? Cause they're both awesome. It's hard to pick. Like you said, going up against a lot of other things, I would probably take Rose saying, why can't I be MVP? Because there was so much excitement in this city coming into that media day before the 10 11 season. It was, you know, Derrick Rose was rookie of the year, followed that up with making the all-star team in his second season. And that was the, you know, like we had already gotten some of the excitement for that 2009 Celtics playoff series when Derrick Rose was just a rookie and doing crazy things in that series. And then, yeah, the Bulls got bounced out pretty quickly by LeBron's Cavs in the 2010 playoffs. And there was kind of like a anticlimactic element to that. But we all knew that we had something exciting with Rose and for him to have so much confidence as a 21-year-old kid at the time, it was it was special and it was awesome. And it was a symbol of, I think that was when Bulls fans really kind of came back. Though, yeah, obviously, there were those of us who stuck with them through thick and thin. And the, you know, the Curry and Tyson years, the Elton Brand year, the, the Jay Williams experiment, and you know, all of those things. And then through the baby Bulls in the 05-06, oh, but... Bulls fans in the city of Chicago really came back to supporting this team because of young Derrick Rose and that that media day speech she had was a big reason why but still can't not vote for the facts I'm curious if Bulls fans would have the same passion and the same drive if it did linger you know you talked about how like the post MJ years and then lingering through the baby Bulls and through the Eddie Curry experience, the Tyson Chandler years, the picking Tyrus Thomas, trading, swapping picks for Tyrus Thomas instead of keeping LaMarcus Aldridge. Like all of those decisions that went into finally being able to land Derrick Rose in 2008. To me, I wonder if the Bulls fandom would be as crazy as it is right now if that sort of had lingered, if we had never gotten Derrick Rose, if, or if Derrick Rose had never won the MVP, had never lived up to those expectations, what kind of the fandom would be around Chicago? Because, you know, even though it's been 20 plus years since the Bulls have been back to an NBA Finals, I feel like the fan base is more driven than ever. And you listen to everybody that is passionate about this team. And, you know, you still go back to the team that had success back in the 2010 through 2014, 15 years. Like people had just as much passion as they did about the Michael Jordan teams. And with all the heartbreak that happened between those years, I think I would, I was curious to wonder how this fan base would have been shaped if Derrick Rose was never a part of this Bulls team, if that Bulls team never, you know, went in constant battles with the Heatles, what this fan base would look like. And I'm glad it's not like that because the passionate fan base that is the Chicago Bulls, I think, holds its own against any other fan base in all of professional sports. So I'm glad that, that both of these had happened. But like you had said, they're both kind of similar outcomes. Like Michael Jordan with the I'm back facts and Derrick Rose saying, why can't I be MVP? both ending up turning around and doing things that are great MV- being the youngest MVP in league history. And then Michael coming back and uh, running back a second three Pete's. I think those both are unprecedented. And if they weren't put up against each other, those are two vitally, vitally important moments in bulls history. And for bulls fans, at least young and old, when's the last time you sent a fax, Jordan? Just curious. I don't think I've ever sent a fax in my entire life. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was going to be the answer. You're a you're a millennial through and through. I have sent some faxes in my day. I can remember I can remember specifically my parents having 
this combo fax color printer copier back like in the early 2000s when it wasn't really that common and it was like the best thing you could possibly have and I remember you know just my mom is a teacher like loving it and I'm like like really a fax and that's the crazy thing is like you go back and think about all the technology that was used back in like the mid to late 90s and how fast and how rapid technology is built up and now we're at the point where like People laugh at you if you say like, "Do you have a fax number or any of that?" But I, I, yeah, exactly. Like, what would what would the today version of that be? MJ just tweeting. Yeah, I'm back. I think that's it. I think that's 100 percent it. So much, so much, so much more anticlimactic. I mean, athletes, and I think that's part of the reason why NBA is the best social media league that we have in our country right now because NBA Twitter is awesome, and athletes are all over. NBA athletes are all over Twitter interacting with fans, doing all sorts of stuff on their social media, and it's a great part of the game, and especially in the slow months of the offseason, it's the way that fans keep in touch with what's going on in the league and talking about all sorts of you know, trade scenarios and hypotheticals and who are the free agents and all this stuff. It's great that, that the NBA has embraced Twitter the way it has, but because of that, I feel like just a, just a two-word tweet from MJ if you fast forwarded that scenario to today and he just tweeted, I'm back, like it would just be like, oh, well, there's another tweet from, oh, 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 that's a very important tweet. But it would just kind of get lost in the shuffle. How many retweets do you think that that gets? How many retweets and how many likes does that get? Over a million? Over a million. Easily. I think the the most retweeted, the most liked tweet, and I don't know if this is still accurate or not, but it came from uh, Barack Obama. When he sent out like an inspiring tweet and it was a picture of him like looking through a window with a bunch of children. I think that got close to three or four million retweets. And I think that's the highest retweeted thing ever on Twitter. And I could be wrong, too. I think maybe Ellen DeGeneres, them taking kind of that cameo photo at one of the uh, award shows, I think, was also one of those top tweets that got retweeted all over the place. I'd be curious to know how many retweets, like if you took the the fandom that was for Michael Jordan back in the '90s and you plugged Twitter there, how many retweets that would have gotten? I think would have been bonkers. I think it would have been close. It would have been close to a couple million. But yeah, I, I think rapidly changing technology has helped in, you know, in some ways has hurt some of the NBA players. But for the most part, I think NBA has done a phenomenal job with their social media and the ways that they are using technology to connect with fans now. I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason that NBA Twitter is the best way. That's true. That is very true. Well, go and vote. Vote, vote. Obviously, Matt and I have put in our decisions, but we want our decisions from you, the listener. We're going to tweet out this poll attached to our episode today, so go out and retweet. Go out and vote for which one you would vote for. It's more important of a moment, the I'm Back Facts or Why Can't I Be MVP. We want to hear from all of our listeners, so that's at Locked On Bulls. Follow us there at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Valley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. That's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on social media on Twitter, at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow to drive you into the weekend. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces.
Locked On Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked On Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.